0: We'll be looking at Daniel chapter 5. And if you've been able to be with us for our previous nights uh, looking at Daniel, you know that uh, we've pointed out that the first seven of the 12 chapters that comprise the book of Daniel are uh, put together in a structure that matches uh, uh, two chapters each. So chapters two through 2 through 7... After an introductory chapter in chapter 1, chapters 2 through 7, each have a matching chapter. So chapter 2 and chapter 7, the subject matter is uh, the same. And that is an overview of world history and the four worldwide kingdoms that would comprise world history. That's chapter 2 and chapter 7. Then in chapters 3 and chapter 6, you have similar subject matter as well. In chapter 3 of Daniel, you have the experience of Daniel's three friends in the fiery furnace. And in chapter 6, we'll see next week, you have Daniel in the lion's den. And then chapter 4 and 5, again, similar subject matter. Last week in chapter 4, we saw the the humbling of King Nebuchadnezzar by God. And tonight in chapter 5, we're going to see the humbling of King Belshazzar. So 2 and 7, 3 and 6, and now 4 and 5. 4 and 5 are about the humbling of these two kings. We saw Nebuchadnezzar last week, and tonight we'll see the humbling of Belshazzar. So if you have your Bible, if you're able to uh, juggle that with your cup of coffee and your popcorn and all the other stuff, (laughs) if not, then take my word for it as I read from uh, Daniel chapter 5. But it starts out, Daniel 5, as King Belshazzar. Gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles, and drank wine with them. So King Belshazzar, who is uh, who is that? Well, it turns out not quite. It says it does say Nebuchadnezzar his father, uh, but I'm going to talk about that in in a bit. That, uh, in fact, there, in the NIV there's a footnote to that as well, but. So, so who is he? He is, a, he is an ancestor of, or he is a uh, successor to uh, Nebuchadnezzar, but we'll see the relationship in just a bit. But his name, Bel, starts Belshazzar, and we've been introduced to Bel or Baal, the Babylonian god, chief god. And so Belshazzar's name has the name of this Babylonian god in it. And it means, uh, Bel, protect the king. Belshazzar, Bel is asking Bel, this chief god, to be a protector of the king. Now, you remember, if you've been with us and if you haven't been with us, you can listen online. All of the stuff is up there now. If anybody has checked, several of you have asked for uh, prior lessons and whether or not they're up there. They hadn't been, but they are all there now. So you can go back and listen if you haven't been with us. But we've seen the fact that Nebuchadnezzar started uh, his rule as king of Babylon in 605 B.C., and they had a 43-year reign to 562 B.C. And Daniel doesn't give us, uh, after the end of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he doesn't give us a succession of who came immediately after Nebuchadnezzar. Belshazzar is clearly one of those who came after him, but he's not, he's not the immediate successor to Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, uh, there were a number of kind of ill-fated attempts to run the empire after Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar died. He was followed by his son, who uh, was named uh, uh, after the chief god Baal, also known as Marduk. Remember that? And so his son, uh, named after Marduk, uh, took, the, uh, took the kingdom. But he was assassinated after he had reigned for only two years. So 562 B.C. is the end of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. So long about 560 B.C., a couple of years into it, uh, his son, uh, Marduk, is is assassinated. And his assassin uh, occupied the throne for four years after that. And after that, the assassin's son uh, took the throne. Now the assassin's son was a child when he took the throne and he only lasted for for 9 months and he his his reign ended because there was a conspiracy against his rule and he was beaten to death so this is how it went after Nebuchadnezzar dies you have this 43 year uh, marvelous reign uh, splendid reign glorious reign uh, over the world with all of the splendor of babylon And then after that, in the several years, uh, immediately after his death, you have all of this death and assassination and conspiracy and this child who had taken the throne uh, was beaten to death. One of the conspirators involved in that was someone named uh, Nabonidus. Nabonidus. He was one of the conspirators that uh, killed this child and he was given the throne, and he reigned for 17 years. So Nabonidus reigns for 17 years, beginning 556 B.C. So Nebuchadnezzar, 562, and then you've got six, seven years of passing of the throne from one person to another, and then there's finally a settling with Nabonidus for 17 years, 556 to 539. And in 539 is when the uh, uh, Persian Empire takes over and uh, King Cyrus becomes uh, the worldwide, worldwide emperor. And so when it says then, King Belshazzar, who are we talking about? We're talking about someone whose name means Bel, protect the king. And he is someone who takes, takes the throne sometime after We'll see what that sometime after is in in just a a minute and what his relationship is to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, this uh, designation that Daniel gives that Belshazzar is the king, says King Belshazzar. This has caused all kinds of trouble because if you've been with us, you know that there are lots of people who do not believe that Daniel was a contemporary of Nebuchadnezzar and then uh, Belshazzar. Uh, They think that the author of Daniel was somebody who lived many centuries later, actually, because they don't believe he could have known the history uh, that's recorded here, future history, things that were going to happen in in time, uh, uh, because they don't believe in the miraculous nature of Scripture. And so they deny that, and one of the things they've seized upon is this mention of this guy named Belshazzar. So King Belshazzar, and here's why. Because prior to the 1800s, you couldn't find an historical document anywhere that mentioned anybody named Belshazzar. So think about it. You've got all of these critics of the Book of Daniel, and they've got, got this king, and in all the historical records that talk about all of the kings of Babylon, you don't have Belshazzar mentioned. But finally, eighteen sixty-one, a tablet was found in Ur. Now, does Ur ring a bell for anybody? This is where this is where Abraham was was from, modern day Iraq. And uh, uh, in Ur was found this tablet containing the name Belshazzar. Uh, and then in eighteen eighty-two. There was a a document found called the uh, Nabonidus Chronicle. And it mentioned someone who was the crown prince under Nabonidus. And that crown prince is, uh, we're going to see, none other than Belshazzar mentioned in Daniel chapter 5. It says that this one who was the crown prince, it didn't name him, but it says there was a crown prince that served with Nabonidus and that uh, he was regarded as king. And the reason he was regarded as king is because Nabonidus would often be away from the center of power. And he would leave this crown prince that turns out to be Belshazzar in charge of running things. And so until 1861, you had no mention of Belshazzar anywhere, but uh, this uh, tablet found in Ur mentions him. And then the Nabonidus Chronicle mentions that there is this crown prince who was actually running things and was regarded as the king. And then there were still more finds since, since that time. In 1916, there were two legal documents that uh, were dated in the 12th and the 13th years of Nabonidus reign. So that would have been, remember, he started reigning in 556 B.C., So that would have been in like uh, 544, 543 B.C. And this document records oaths where people took an oath, legal documents, they took an oath to tell the truth and they swore to tell the truth on the lives of Nabonidus the king and of Belshazzar the crown prince. And remember this other document, the Nabonidus Chronicle, says that the crown prince is the one who was regarded as king because he was running day-to-day affairs. And then finally, 1924, uh, Sidney Smith of the British Museum published a document called Persian Verse Account of Nabonidus. And it contains this statement: Nabonidus entrusted the kingship to Belshazzar. And so Belshazzar was the king, despite what the critics used to say, that there was no such person. And that's why Daniel chapter 5 and verse 1 starts king. Belshazzar, But he reigned at the same time as Nabonidus. He was put in charge by Nabonidus, and he was called the, uh, the crown prince. So there's a sense in which he was the second in command. You've got Nabonidus, and then you've got Belshazzar. He's second in command. Now here's why that's interesting. If you had a chance to read Daniel chapter 5 at all, you found this uh, phrase three times in Daniel 5. Where, uh, where Belshazzar says, if anybody can interpret these, this handwriting on the wall, I will make you third in the kingdom. Look at verse 7. The king called out for the enchanters and the astrologers and the diviners to be brought and said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads the writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple, have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Well, why the third highest? Because I'm the second highest. That's why. So there's Nabonidus, and then there's Belshazzar, and then ultimately, when you get down to uh, verse 29, we find that Daniel is actually made third highest in the kingdom because he's the guy who who did this, okay? So from the very first couple of words of Daniel chapter 5, you've got controversy, but it's controversy that the Bible always wins if you'll just give it enough time, okay? but the critics always seize upon any silence from history to suggest that the bible just sort of made things up they've done this with all sorts of stuff um the hittites you guys remember reading about the hittites in your old testament i mean forever the critics of the bible said they couldn't find any mention of the hittites and so this is the bible just making stuff up said they but just like with belshazzar there have been all kinds of finds now, mentioning the Hittites as a warring people as the Bible describes them. And so, verse 1, King Belshazzar, and he gives this uh, banquet for a thousand of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. Now, a thousand nobles, they probably had their wives with them, so you've got a couple of thousand people coming to, coming to this thing. And uh, that was not uncommon in that, uh, in that time. In Assyria and in Babylon and in Persia, great banquets were a way that kings were to demonstrate their glory. So one of these uh, feasts had uh, 69,574 guests. Now this is a king really showing off, right? Persian uh, monarchs frequently had as many as 15,000 guests at daily feasts there were 10,000 guests at the marriage feast of Alexander the Great. And so compared to all that, a couple thousand is relatively relatively small. But this is a way for kings to show their power and to show their glory. And that's what Belshazzar is is doing. And in verse 2 says, While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives, his concubines might drink from them. And so they brought, verse 3, in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, the king and his nobles, his wives, concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Now do you all see what's happening here? You remember that when Nebuchadnezzar seized Jerusalem, uh, that he took uh, articles from the temple in Jerusalem and he placed those in the temple of the chief god in Babylon, Baal, Bel, or Marduk, all, all uh, uh, the same, same, uh, same god. He places them there, but now Belshazzar is taking it to another level. He's using these in this sacrilegious way. He's taking these vessels that have come from the temple devoted to the God of Israel, and now he is using them in celebration of the gods of silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone, according to verse four. And so this is a pompous affront to the true and, and living God, and just like his, uh, just like uh, his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, was uh, humbled in the previous chapter, we're going to see Belshazzar humbled as well by by God. And so, what does God do? Verse five: Suddenly, the fingers of human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. Now, what is what is that about? Fingers of a, a human hand. Yeah. I- why did God choose to have Belshazzar and those there see the fingers of a human, a human hand doing this? Well, you know, the Bible doesn't say. Uh, my guess is that it is God reminding now Belshazzar, as he is going to humble him, who it is that's in control. And I, God, am in control of humanity, I made it, and here's this hand that's writing a message to you to show you my control uh, in contrast to your pomposity. And uh, so you've got the, the fingers of this hand, and God is going to vindicate his name, and he's going to, uh, he's going to correct this affront to his name that Belshazzar has, uh, has pursued With this sacrilegious uh, celebration. Now, do you remember something like the humbling of, in Scripture, a number of times, you have the humbling of these gods and goddesses, these false gods? And one such event is in 1 Samuel chapter 5. 1 Samuel chapter 5. 1 Samuel 5. Verse 1 After the Philistines had captured the ark of God, they took it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then they carried the ark into Dagon's temple, and set it beside Dagon. All right. So, all right. So here you've taken, you've taken the, this this holy article, uh, the ark of God, and so you've taken that, and now you're going to put it up next to this pagan god. But verse three says. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, there was Dagon, fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. Like he's worshiping the the ark of the Lord. Right? They took Dagon and they put him back in his place. But the following morning when they rose, there was Dagon, fallen on his face on the ground before the ark of the Lord. His, His head and his hands had been broken off and we're lying on the threshold, only his body remained. So God is serious about any affront to his dignity, his glory. And this is what Belshazzar has done now by using these vessels that Nebuchadnezzar has brought from, from Babylon. And or brought from Jerusalem. And now he's going to use them in worship of his false, false gods. And the true and living God is going to, going to correct that. And so it says in verse 2 that um, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver goblets, or excuse me, verse 5, fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The plaster on the wall. So uh, the throne that is in the throne room, where this party is taking place has uh, been found. Archaeologists have uncovered this large throne room, 56 feet wide, 173 feet long, and that's probably where this banquet uh, took place. In midway, in this long wall opposite the entrance, and so you come in, you see this, you see this long wall, and in the middle of this long wall, there's a niche in the front where the king and his throne were were located. And the wall behind that section, that niche was made of plaster. And that is precisely where on this plaster that Daniel is describing that this writing takes Says Belshazzar gave orders to bring in the gold, silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. And notice in the NIV there's a, a footnote on that. You guys see that down at the bottom? It says we ancestor or predecessor. And so who is uh, who is Belshazzar in relation to Nebuchadnezzar? Probably married to Nebuchadnezzar's daughter, and um, and Belshazzar is is uh, probably his grandson through 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 uh, through, uh, through marriage, and so not his father, but rather grandfather, and yet uh, the word that's translated father. And simply be ancestor, but he was definitely not his immediate father. So Nebuchadnezzar was not uh, the, the father, the immediate father of Belshazzar. And so that's why I hesitated when we talked about him being Nebuchadnezzar's uh, son, um, probably his grandson. All right, back to verse seven. 6. His face, Belshazzar's, turned pale. He was so frightened. His knees knocked together. His legs gave way. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners to be brought and said to these wise men. Whoever reads this writing tells me what it means. will be clothed in purple, have a gold chain placed around his neck. and be the third highest ruler in the kingdom. And so he calls for them, as has happened now several times, right, throughout the uh, book of the book of Daniel. You've had a number of events now, dreams that have to be interpreted, dream of a great image, out of gold, and Then then last week, chapter 4, you've got the tree, what's the meaning of the, the tree that's cut down, and calling for an interpretation, and who's already come in twice now to give the interpretation? None other than Daniel, and Daniel's going to come in to, to do that again. Verse 8, all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. King Belshazzar became even more terrified, his face grew more pale, his nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. O king, live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed, don't look so pale. There's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king. Appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. This man Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a king mind, and knowledge and understanding, and the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel; he'll tell you what the writing means. Now it says the queen came in. Well, who is who is this? And you know, it just says it just says the queen. And there are a number of suggestions about this. There's a footnote on that as well in the NIV. It says, or the queen, queen mother. And in looking at all of the possibilities of who this is, uh, my guess is, along with a number of others, that this is the aged widow of Nebuchadnezzar. And she knows as well as anyone about this guy named Daniel because she has seen Daniel in action, and you see that she describes very accurately what uh, Daniel had done during the career of what I believe to be her her husband. And so uh, she comes in, the queen, and suggests Daniel is the one who can do the interpreting because he's done this in the past. It was for Nebuchadnezzar's wife that he had that. had come from another land, he had married her, and in order to assuage her homesickness, he created the hanging gardens, of the marvelous hanging gardens of of Babylon. So this queen makes a suggestion to call on Daniel. Verse 13, so Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, are you Daniel one of the exiles my father the king brought from, from Judah? Now when he says that are you Daniel one of the exiles that my father brought from, from Judah you know, why is he why is he saying well after the death of Nebuchadnezzar what happens to Daniel? I mean we're not, we're not told but he may have been demoted after the uh, after the death of Nebuchadnezzar and he'd been given a high position you remember by Nebuchadnezzar in fact chapter 2 and verse 48, He's referred to as the chief governor over all the wise men of, of Babylon, and yet here Belshazzar just talks him about, speaks of him as one of the exiles from Judah, whom my father had brought. And so, uh, why does, uh, why does he have to summon him, and why does he not really know who he is? Well, he may have been demoted uh, after the death of, of Nebuchadnezzar. Notice he, he calls him, him Daniel. Are you Daniel? One of the exiles, my father. Now remember that he had been given, along with his three friends, Babylonian names Belteshazzar. So here you've got King Belshazzar, and you've got Daniel, who had been assigned this Babylonian name, Belteshazzar, and he refers to him as Daniel. So what's going on with that? Remember I said what Belshazzar means? Belshazzar, Belteshazzar. Means Bell uh, protect the king. Belteshazzar <laughs> means Lady Bell protect the king. Um, so wife of Bell, wife of Marduk protect the king. And uh, so he his name is is very close to obviously very close to Belshazzar. And perhaps to make clear the difference he refers to him rather than as Belteshazzar's Babylonian name, he refers to him as, as Daniel. In verse 14, I've heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, that you have insight, intelligence, outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing. Tell me what it says, but they could not explain it. Now I've heard that you're able to give interpretations to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing, tell me what it means. And then he says again, you'll be clothed in purple gold chain, Made third highest in the kingdom. And Daniel answers, keep your stuff. <laughs> keep your gifts for yourself. Give your rewards to, to someone else. Nevertheless, for no pay, I'll read your demise to <laughs> <Dude. laughs> Now, you know, it sounds perhaps more disrespectful than it was, but he's making it. services is not going to get, change the interpretation that this is about truth this is about me giving you accurately what God is has said, and so it's not about uh, it's not about money and money won't, you know, you won't buy uh, a favorable interpretation will change the truth now that's that's a lesson that carries into the New Testament. sure that we're 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that those who speak the gospel should live up the gospel. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it does talk about those who certain people you don't want to offend right and so it's a good policy not to know who those people are and uh, so that's why it's our policy at our church for me not to know who gives at our church and not to know who gives what at at our church and so Daniel is is saying to Belshazzar you know I I know you're the king I know you got a bunch of stuff but that's not going to change the interpretation of what I'm going to tell you this is about about truth Nevertheless, then, verse 17, I'll read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. O king, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. Those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne, stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and sets over them anyone he wishes. So he recounts what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, what we saw in chapter 4. But in contrast to that, verse 22, But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. Well, wow. knees were knocking. <laughs> And now he's shaken in his boots, undoubtedly, as, as well. Daniel's made it very clear that judgment has come to you, Belshazzar, in contrast to what your father did. You have been haughty before the true living God, and now you're going to pay for that pride. Now, this reminds me of what Paul said in Acts chapter 17 in your New Testament. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is in Athens, Greece, and he is there in the intellectual capital of the world, the philosophical capital of the world, and he stands before these philosophers in, in Athens. And he says something similar about God requiring people to seek after him. And if you want to hold your finger in Daniel chapter 5, Acts chapter 17. God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. I mean doesn't that sound very similar to what Daniel said? You know, he said that these, these these gods that you have that are made of gold and silver and of wood and iron, they can't see or they can't hear. And God made everything in the world. And so he is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. In fact, he's the one who gives all men life and breath and everything else. That's what Daniel has said to Belshazzar. From one man, verse 26, he made every nation of men. Now notice that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Why did he do this? So that men, verse 27, would seek him. And perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said. We are his offspring. And so that is the indictment now that Daniel is bringing to Belshazzar, that God has given you all of what Paul says in Acts chapter 17 in showing his his might and his creative activity. He did all of this, so that you would seek after him. In addition to that, Belshazzar, you have been given special revelation from God because you knew all this. Doesn't he say that? You knew all of this stuff about Nebuchadnezzar and what happened to him and how he was humbled. And yet despite all of that, the general revelation of God in creation, the special revelation of God in what he did with Nebuchadnezzar, you have in pride... Used the vessels from God's temple and used them to worship these false gods. So what happens? Verse 25. This is the inscription that was written. Mini, Mini, Tekel, Parson. And then he says, This is what these words mean. Mini, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end techo you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting And then paris your kingdom is divided and given to the medes and persians now how does he get that interpretation out of out of those three words well here's what these these words mean the first one uh mini, uh is a form of an Aramaic word which means to number. And it's used twice for emphasis. And so it's mini, mini. And it means not only to count, but to fix the limit of. And so when we say something like, your days are what? Are numbered. And that's what's what's being said now. For emphasis twice now. And that's why then the interpretation is God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end because that word means to number or to count. And then the next word, tekel, it uh, is a form of an Aramaic word which means to weigh. And he says you have, that's why the interpretation is you've been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Now, it's common for people to think today and back then that the way God judges people and whether or not they go to heaven or hell is God's got a scale. And if your good outweighs your bad, you go to heaven. If not, you go to hell. I mean, that's what many people think. And that was common in that day as well. The Egyptian book of the dead pictured men being weighed in balances after they died to determine whether their sins outweighed their worthy deeds. But of course, Scripture makes plain that salvation's never determined that way for none are worthy of salvation but men's works are still weighed and in fact the bible talks about teaches degrees of punishment actually that are based upon the deeds of of men and that's what's being said here now to belshazzar your deeds have been weighed and you have been found wanting and then that third word peris it uh again, is a form of an Aramaic word which means to divide. And that's the word which actually appeared on, on the wall. In fact, you notice up at the top it says, when Daniel gives the inscription, those four words, mini, mini, tekel, parsen, it says parson. But then again, you've got a, a footnote. Perez is the singular of parsons it's, it's Perez now. Stay with me for a second. When you get to the end of chapter 5, in fact, we're almost to the end. Let's take a take a look. Um, end of chapter 5, verse 31. It says, Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Darius the Mede. Well, who actually took over this kingdom? Well, it was the Persian Empire. And so how does Darius the Mede fit into this thing? Well, this is where that third, uh, that that fourth word, that third word, uh, used in this inscription, is important because it means to to divide, and that's why Daniel says in verse twenty eight, "Your kingdom is divided and given to the Mer- the Medes and Persians." So it's important for you to understand the Bible is not saying in verse thirty one at the end of chapter five, Darius the Mede became the king. That therefore it was the Medes who conquered Babylon. Historically, that's not true. It was the Persians who did that. But the Persian Empire was divided between the Medes and the Persians. And in fact, Daniel is pointing that very thing out. Your kingdom is divided. And so that's what that that word means, to, to divide. And so you've got, think about this inscription now that's up there. Um, some of you have been through "How to Get the Most Out of Your Bible," and I talked about I talk about the fact that in Hebrew, in your Old Testament, they don't have uh, they didn't have vowels in the writing; it was just consonants. And uh, and uh, so you what you probably have on this wall is not. And so you've got MN, and you've got MN, and then you've got Tekel, T-K-L. And then you've got PRS, transliterated for for us. And so it's no wonder that these guys were not able to interpret uh, what it it said. And you've got this word, the last word, which represents both Persia and also the word for divide. Because the word for Persia is P-E-R-E-S, and the word for divide is P-A-R-A-S. But how would that look with just consonants? Look exactly the same, right? And so when Daniel interprets this, it's a play on that word. It's to divide, and it's also going to be taken over by the Persians. And so Daniel has got it exactly right, as you might expect, that it's going to be the Persians who are going to take over the Babylonian kingdom and defeat it. But that kingdom is going to be divided, and it's going to be divided among the Medes and the Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, verse 29, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed, the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom. So that very night, Belshazzar is is slain. Now, how did that go down? How did that happen? Well, what had been happening for a period of time, historically, this uh, this is what happened that, uh, that uh, Babylon was being surrounded by the Persians militarily. And over uh, the years since uh, Nebuchadnezzar had died, the Babylonian Empire had become increasingly weak and the Persians were coming for them. They're surrounding the capital in Babylon. And here's Belshazzar, feeling like despite the fact that they are militarily weakened the Persians are gaining strength and confidence and surrounding them that the walls do you guys remember I described the walls in Babylon last week that the walls but there were not just the walls but there was a a moat around it as well so we're protected and we've got enough supplies to last for years so there's nothing these guys are going to be able to do to us. And so he's so cocky and confident, he has a party with the Persians, in effect, at the door because they can't get in. But here's what the Persians did. They actually they, they worked for months and months and they diverted water that would fill the moat from the Euphrates River, they, di- they diverted the water and they lowered the moat so that they were able to come in under the wall. And in one night, without a fight, the Babylonian Empire fell. And historically, that's, that's precisely, what, precisely what happened. There was no battle to take the Babylonian Empire it was taken without a fight. And it was taken without a fight because they were surrounded, they had become blasphemous but cocky and were able to, uh, were were defeated in in one night. And as a result now, uh, Cyrus is going to become the king, king of Persia. We're going to see his name now in the chapters that follow Cyrus the king of Persia but just like uh, Cyrus uh, just like uh, Nabonidus was the king and he delegated responsibility to Belshazzar Cyrus did precisely the same thing with Darius and so you find Darius the Mede as taking over the kingdom verse 31 but then you're going to find Cyrus mentioned as, as well. In fact, if you'll look at chapter 6 and verse 28. Start back in verse 25. King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. We'll see that next week. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And so here you have a divided kingdom. Persians who defeated the, the Babylonians, but Cyrus delegated to this king of Media, Darius the Mede, responsibilities, and that's why Daniel is serving under both of them. All right, and now on to the really important news. It's the end of the third quarter, and we are up by four at the end of the uh, third quarter. So, we should have a prayer meeting, of <laughs> <laughs> for the important stuff. Now, next week, we're going to look at uh, this uh, famous incident in, uh, the, uh, in the lion's den. So I encourage you to do the, the homework that's in the, uh, the workbook. If you have the workbook, if you don't have the workbook, you can get one in the resource center if the guy's ever emerge from there. So let's pray and uh, ask the Lord bless us. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at your word each week. We thank you for your servant, Daniel, and these preserved words for us. We thank you, Lord, for the lessons that we can learn out of what uh, you have provided for us. Being reminded through Daniel. Lord, help us to remember that. Help us to remember that in trying times, both on a national and international scale, but also in our personal lives. And Lord, we pray that you would help us this week to honor you as you desire and you demand. That you be honored by all people, especially by those of us who name your name. Help us to honor ask you to help us to represent you in a way that uh, is consistent with your character and help us to do that in, in the lives of those that you bring into our circle of influence as we go to work and as we serve in our homes and in our neighborhoods we pray lord that you would grant us safety and bring us back next week we pray in the name of jesus amen